from their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. Hey, everyone. It's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And once again, it is good to be back with all of you listening in. Thank you for your continued support. How are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing well. Good. Oh, very nice. It's just been kind of relaxing. We've just been trying to uh, think about what to talk about. And then we got stuff to talk about, right? So <laughs> good news. we had some product announcements this week that we'll quickly talk about. And then we're going to go into, um, we're going to go in a little deeper on some of the stuff we alluded to when we were talking about using smartphones and that is some specifics to, to iPhones that we've just recently, I'll say recently, but I think there, there are things that are there that not everybody is aware of like features in the, in the iPhone cameras specifically, both with uh, settings, but also, you know, ways you can use them. And you and I did run onto something that we weren't aware of before that turned out to be quite powerful. So we'll talk about that too. Yeah, it's absolutely. not, it's not that it's something that's found in every phone by any means, but happens to be in the ones that we have and yeah. might be in ones that some of our listeners have, or that might get in the future, or maybe even spur some motivation to update your phone. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, we'll talk about it in that context that we've been discussing, which is when your phone is your compact point and shoot camera, if you will, uh, what are some of the advantages? And we've always talked about, well, it's just so easy to use and the size, but we'll have some things today that might make it even more compelling. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, that's good. But before we get into that, um, a couple of announcements from Nikon this week, which may or may not be of interest <laughs> to our listeners. But the first was a, a, a camera called the Z30. And the second was a 400 millimeter F4.5 Z mount uh, lens. Um, one is very inexpensive, the other not so much, um, but let's but talk not, about not it. Not terrible bit. either. No, no, no. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. I mean, there's always always the price factor, right? Yeah. So, so the Z30, now, when I saw it, I didn't, I kind of scratched my head. I wasn't sure about it. And I think you and I both agreed, this is not a camera that you or I are targeted towards in no, any way. And nor are we really in any position to truly discuss it's virtues no. because no. it's not intended for enthusiast photographers. It's, it's actually marketed towards what they call content creators, which yeah. in another universe, they call those vloggers, people doing video clips and selfie videos and video blogs, right? Vloggers and maybe mm -hmm. some stills, right? So a really compact camera, it's a DX form as the same sensor as what's in the Z50, the ZFC, mm -hmm. same Z mount, no viewfinder. So everything is, using the flip, but it's got a flip out reversible LCD, right? So you can have the camera pointed at yourself and you can right. see yourself in the mirror, so to speak, um, while you're doing that. It has some video accessories like a Bluetooth remote and things like that, you know, microphones and things you can connect to it. It's relatively inexpensive. I think the body only is about, is under 800 in the US, right? Um, which isn't cheap, but it's, um, uh, you know, not not a two thousand dollar camera either um who is this well so what's this competing with and what space is this trying to fill that was my my question i mean 
is there a valid space for this market of people who want i would assume video quality that's better and more professional than what you're going to do with say your smartphone which would probably be the alternative right mm-hmm. there i know of at least one perhaps two cameras that are out there one for sure there's a sony model that's okay. been out for i don't know at least a year that is in this same general space you know kind of stripped down very compact mm-hmm. um, and intended just for um, vlogging and stuff like that um, canon immediately leaked out that they're going to have a similar thing too i don't know why they're so much better about giving insight into future products but they seem to be one way or another um i was thinking there's a little sigma that might be in this space but it you know the fp series but i'm not really sure i think you have to have so much uh, additional stuff attached to that thing to to get to the equivalent point that's probably not a well, I'm not going to dwell on the specs, just no. come down to, um, you know, because I think a lot of the specs are, are designed towards the video content. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it means to be a quote content creator anymore. I, you know, whatever. I, you know, I have a blog. Just a euphemism. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the, you know, the compact size, being able to do video, you know, with a sensor that's obviously way, way bigger than what you'll get in a phone is a good thing um, where I'm scratching my head a little bit and maybe someone can tell me why I'm wrong. But again, this camera does not have IBIS. So no right. in-body stabilization, which for both of us is a really great feature. Um, maybe it's a non-issue. Maybe they can do things um, with the video. Uh, and then you're still using the existing uh, lens lineup, um, which, you know, in my opinion for the nikon z dx line is pretty weak um in terms of diversity and 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 the idea of using an adapter isn't really ideal if you're doing video because they, the lenses get too noisy when they focus so that the idea is that you want a very quiet focusing lens for video which is what the z native z lenses do they're very mm-hmm. very quiet when they focus and that's that's an advantage but right now you've really only got the two lens the existing two lens um, options that have come with the Z50. So maybe there's more on the way. I don't know. Um, but I think of a video, uh, you know, especially if you're doing sort of selfie or oriented things, you kind of want a wide angle lens, don't you? Really yeah, wide. I mean, it doesn't have to be wide. super fast, but it certainly needs to be wide. Yeah. And, and, and I think right now the widest that, that you've got natively is a, um, uh, a 16 millimeter focal length on the 16 to 50 mm-hmm. that's about 24 and that's wide but not crazy wide um so we'll see there might be more things coming out down the line we'll just have to wait but that that camera is not in our space so if you're a photographer and an enthusiast you we're not gonna that that's really this camera isn't for you that's not what it's about and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah one one little update i'll make and, and again, we're not the right people to talk about this, so we'll shut up very quickly. But the Sony I was thinking about is for that space, but it's not an interchangeable lens camera. Oh, I see. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. It does have IBIS. Okay. But um, at any rate, 
Anyway, whatever. We'll let other people that who are smart about that stuff talk about it. Now, on the enthusiast side, we've got this new 400. Now, that uh, one we can understand. Yeah, that, that one makes more, more sense. It's a 400 millimeter f4.5 uh, Z native lens. Um, and that's interesting. Um, it's got a it's got a hefty but not painful price tag if you're a serious enthusiast. It's I want to say it's about thirty two hundred dollars US in mm-hmm. that range. Um, what is interesting about it? Well, it's for for that focal length, it's smaller, lighter, and cheaper. And what was a few years ago, we were or a few weeks ago, I should say, it's, it only seems that long. Uh, we were talking about the eight hundred Z lens being so much smaller and less expensive than the F mount counterpart. Well, here's the same idea. You've got a slightly slower aperture. You know, it's a you know it's an f four five, which is fine with you know most Z bodies with focusing mm-hmm. systems these days. Um, you know, it's got an excellent. You know, the optics look to be outstanding. We saw the MTF charts. You look at that and go, "Yep, that's going to be a good good performing lens." The question is, is who's it really targeted for? Um, my hunch is that it's really for people who are doing um, somewhat serious, but not you know crazy um, expensive sports photography. Four hundred is that traditional focal length for sports. Um, maybe you're doing high school sports. Maybe you're doing things where you know daytime. Uh, you don't need a two eight lens, and you certainly don't want to pay for one. Uh, so, right. so it comes in handy um, because it's got the native Z format. It's going to have the enhanced image stabilization where the 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 lens vr and the in-body system work together to provide i think it's like five and a half stops of stabilization or something like that Mm -hmm. so it's intended to be a hand holdable lens um that's the whole point of it it's it's a little lighter than the 500 pf which i think we both own yeah and and Um, those are not hard to hold (laughs) no so this would be even easier so this would be a yeah, a delightful lens to handle. I think it would come down to the balance and the handling, you know, how the design, you know, where the weight is um, and, and stuff. But again, you don't need an FTZ adapter. Um, there's nothing in this space that you could convert over from F mount. Um, there just isn't. Not at that. Right. Uh, so, so you've got, so now what you've got is um, on the Z side, you've got a 100 to 400 zoom. You have a 400 prime, an eight, a 600, uh, a, well, two 400 primes, a 600, and there's an 800. Um, and the 600 and the 800 are really specialty side. So what you'd have to ask yourself if you're in the market for this lens is, one, I would say, how much focal length? What's your subjects? You know, for all-purpose wildlife photography, I think the 100 to 400 is your better choice because you've got to zoom. But if you're doing a lot of stuff where you're at 400 for sports, um, you know you can use a teleconverter. My my guess is that the teleconverter, uh, the one four, would be very good with this lens. It's my hunch. Yeah, the one the one thing I I would say is for wildlife in general, I think you'd be better off with the 500 PF, even though it's an F mount lens. Mm-hmm. It adapts well, and you know, unless you're photographing large mammals pretty close, um, 400 just isn't quite enough. And, and yeah, you can put on a, a teleconverter, mm-hmm. but I think you'd just be happier. I think most people would be happier with a 500 
that with a teleconverter could go even longer right. and be more suitable for birds and mm-hmm. smaller mammals and stuff. Yeah. That, that's and especially on take. a especially on a high megapixel body like a Z7 mm-hmm. two or a Z9 where you can go 1.5 crop in camera and still pull out 20 megapixels. So yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I think historically 500 was always the wildlife focal length. Mm-hmm. It was a nice trade-off between size, weight, and price and give you enough reach, right? Whereas 600 could be, it wasn't that you didn't want more reach, but man, a 600 would be just so huge and so crazy to carry a 500 yeah. and, and the PF now is so small, but you know, on the other hand, if you're doing more things along the lines of like sports, you know, kids or high school or whatever, where you're in and maybe not night sports, but where you don't need the, the absolute fastest, you know, now here's a very good professional quality prime that you that you're going to get outstanding results with, I would say. I think it'll be great for that because um, 500 can be too long for for kids sports. Yeah. Um, so, so a, a 400, you know, there, it is a useful focal length um, and it's going to de- certainly deliver exceptional image quality at that long end, you know, certainly better than what you'd get from the zoom. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's there, it's, it's another lens in the lineup. I, I, um, you know, it's uh, nice to see those coming out um, and continuing. So, you know, yeah. you know, we'll see. I don't have any plans on buying one, but, <laughs> but that's right. okay. Right. Um but it would be interesting to play with. Sure. Well, how about we move on to our iPhone fun? Yeah, this has been interesting, right? I mean, we both have iPhones. I mean, we both have had them since practically the very beginning of iPhone right. time. Right. And one thing about iPhones is that they've always had pretty good cameras in them. Um, you know, it's it's pretty crazy to look back at old photos that you've taken with your phones and just seen how much the image quality has improved in the last 10 years, you know, it's, it's gone from being, well, it's a picture, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you know, I can kind of tell what that is to, wow, I could actually print that. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And we're definitely in that territory now. Um, so yeah, we've been there for a while, there, yeah. there, but there've been some limitations too. Right. So, so some of the trends with cell phones and smartphones in general has been adding more lenses, you know, native uh, so basically, they you know they have three cameras in them or two cameras, whatever. So you you get native um, focal lengths, and that that helps uh, because you're not relying on digital zoom, you know, cropping essentially to 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 get in tighter. Um, and so uh, most phones these days will will have two uh, lenses. Some will have three, and we'll talk about that. Um, but beyond the hardware, a lot of the great features in smartphones and especially with iPhones is the software underneath the the camera app. Um, And for a long time, when phones came out, there's been just tons of third party apps, you know, here's a way to play with exposure and do do all this stuff, you know, third party apps to, to capture photos. And what I found is with the newer phones, I don't use those anymore. You know, I'm not using these things. uh, uh, I actually more happy I'm happier using the iPhone's own just camera app, the native camera. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. When I've tried some of the others and I've played with several of them, um, they're, um, the basic results just frankly aren't as good. And I think it gets into all of those fancy computational features that you, you've gotten with 
the JPEG or mm-hmm. other formats equivalent to that, um, you know, where they merge the results of multiple images together, you know, very elaborate blending mm-hmm. behind the scenes along with some clever use of tone curves and other things. You know, they've done a very good job, you know, where most people, if they were taking an equivalent image with a higher end camera would really have to know post-processing well to get it to the same point, which is the thing that we were talking about last week. Right. So a lot of these things are in software, they're in the phone. And and as we've noticed over the years, they're not particularly well documented, right? I mean, they're just not, they're in there. And so I have a lot of clients that come on workshops and, and a couple of years ago, this was great because I don't even know what was all in the phone. Right. And one of my clients, when we were in, um, I want to say it was in Scotland. Um, but one of my clients was a retired Apple, actually vice president of Apple, like new Steve jobs, personally, he was retired and he used to work in the iPhone, you know, the iOS and the whatever. Um, and he pointed out all these things you could do. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I didn't know this stuff. I didn't know these features existed. So what we want to do is sort of talk through a little, a few things that you can do with your phones if, and just to get better results. Okay. Um, and then we'll talk about some stuff that is exclusive to certain iPhones that is very, very cool if you're an enthusiast. So let's let's talk about some hidden things. I'm going to just open up my my phone camera here to look at it first. Um, but when you use the the phone, you know, at the bottom, you've got all the different modes. You can swipe to, uh, um, you know, standard photos and video. You know, you can go between those things. And I, I, I like using a bunch of those things. But the the real interesting thing is the menu or the area above the image, the top of your phone, the top of the screen. And if you look at that, there's some controls. And, the, you know, this is where you can, like, turn flash on or off. And you can um, set it. There's a thing for live photos. Um, which we'll talk about in a minute, but there's a little arrow and it points up. And if you tap that, or if you, um, or if you swipe up from the, from the bottom where it has the menus of photos that you swipe up from the bottom, you suddenly get a whole list of controls. And these are, these are quite nice because now you've got not only your flash, but you've got crops. So if you want to do one, you know, you know, square crop or 16 by nine, um, you can, you can, uh, do exposure compensations. You can dial that in. Uh, the self timer is in there, as well as uh, the filters for the different looks. You know, the you can go black and white or do, and they're all hiding in there, um, and and they're quite useful. Um, another thing um, that I know you you and I both sometimes use is the you you can refocus your you can tell your iPhone where to focus right. Yeah, just by tapping on the screen, right? On so the thing that you want it to focus on. So if you if you really wanted to focus on a foreground object, just tap that on the screen. Now it also sets exposure when you do that, so you can then you, there's a little sunshine that comes up, and if mm-hmm. you slide your finger up or down, you can adjust the the exposure. Um, so that's very cool. So just quick comment: those two things alone, being able to tell it where to you want it to focus. And then just doing a simple adjustment to the exposure or brightness of the image, those things alone can greatly improve a photo. Absolutely. And I then mean, a lot. And then here's a cool thing. Um, even if your background looks like a little bit blown out, the phone uses that computational stuff to recover a lot of that highlight detail. So 
So when you open that photo in your photo, you know, in your photo library, it looks better than when, when you were taking the picture. Mm -hmm. It does a lot of these things. Um, another thing uh, that you can do, um, once upon a time, a trick that I used to use a lot, um, this was with the single camera phones, you know, the single, you know, we only had one lens, was if you needed to do a wide scene was to use panorama mode. Mm -hmm. You switch to panorama and, and you can do those easily. And when, when you're in panorama mode, the camera is actually doing video and it's just recording and, and you can, you can do the panorama, but did you know that if you tap the screen, you can also arrange it to do a, a left to right um, or right to left. Mm -hmm. And I think you can even do up or down. If you hold the, if you hold the camera horizontally, um, you can do a vertical pano. I've um, not tried that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can they're they're a little bit tricky but if you just tap the if you just tap the panorama line that appears in your screen where it says here here's the arrow and pivot um you'll change the direction of the panorama that you can take and and those can be really useful um but more recently the iPhones have added the super wide angle lens and most iPhones uh now have at least that one they have the standard lens which What's the focal length equivalent of the standard lens, Rick? Like twenty-six millimeter, yeah. something like yeah, that. That's, that's exactly what it is. Okay, and then and then you've got this wide-angle lens, which on your screen says 0.5 If you want to tap the zoom, right? That 0.5 is like thirteen millimeter equivalent. And Crazy I know, wide. yeah, that's wider than any lens that we have in our bag, short of a fisheye. And I mean, that's incredibly useful. I have found that that works works wonderfully. And, and I will say that on the phone that I have, same one that you have, the 13 Pro, it's got a third lens, you know, which is a 77 millimeter mm -hmm. equivalent. And I actually use that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good. I've been surprised at how useful that actually is. It actually gives you a little bokeh sometimes, you know, a little out of focus yeah, background. Yeah, you can pull it off. If yeah. you do things. Now, another mode that many people know about, but, but we should definitely point out is the portrait mode. This is this is computational photography, uh, but it's really, really great. Um, what happens is that the camera attempts to see what's in focus, looks for a face usually, but you don't have to. You can use it for other things. And then it artificially blurs. I tried the it on a, on a beer stein and I've done that Dresden, Germany once. So, yeah, it can work. Um, um, <laughs> but the. But it's not that that portrait mode exists and then you can change the styles and you can you know make it look funny. But the, the point is with portrait mode, you can adjust the effective aperture, i.e. the look, you know, the, how soft things are. Yeah, how and then also, out the background is. And then the softness. But the cool part is that when you capture in portrait mode, if you go back to your, so if you go back to your photo editor in your photos on your phone or whatever you can go back and change the aperture settings and the style settings after mm -hmm. the fact on those portraits so if you want to just kind of slide the, the effective aperture so there's this little f number that comes up in the top left of the screen you can set it up front but you can also change it after the fact and that's pretty right. cool and right. we both use that um works on the front facing camera um and on the the standard rear facing camera too so that's mm -hmm. that's kind of cool mm -hmm. um another feature that i really like which is very cool and getting better is that night mode 
right. this much, you know, so if you're in a fairly dark room or even at outdoors at night, the camera will tell you to hold still and it will do a, a long exposure, you know, sometimes a second or more. Um, sometimes those come out quite nice. <laughs> they can be yeah, really I've good. Had, I've had good luck with them. It's, it's remarkably useful, especially on static subjects. Now you're going to have the same problem. The things yes. are moving. It's not going to work too well. Yeah. So pictures of your pets in the dark, not, not so much, but did you know that if you open up that night, you know, that swipe up from the bottom or, or it tap that arrow at the top of your screen, you can override the default setting and do up to a 10 second exposure. Now I haven't tried this. It, it's hard to do that handheld, but with with the apertures of these lenses and the phones being actually quite quite wide i mean they're f like 1.8 or something or 1.6 you can you can actually start to see stars at night in some cases yeah that's, i've seen examples of it i haven't shot one myself i wouldn't do that handheld but but if you get a little tripod accessory to clamp onto your you know to put your phone on a, on a tripod it might work so something to 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 try now the uh, thing that we ran on to recently well, there's one more thing before oh, you get into okay. that, even because sure. there's another hidden feature. There's one more thing. There's one more thing, and then we're going to get to the what we think is the the coolest thing that we found, or potentially coolest thing from a workflow standpoint. But the the last thing is the live photo feature. Now, the live photo feature is this little looks like a bullseye target, mm -hmm. um, and you can mine's defaults to off. Okay, I just I and I only use right. it when I want to use it. But live photo is a feature that Apple threw in a few years ago. I mean, it's been around for a while. Um, you know, several generations of phone uh, so iOS software. What it actually does is when you take a photo using live photos, it'll show up on your screen as a still. But if you press and hold it, it's actually got a little video clip from before and after. So it's that's kind of cool. Short. Yeah, you could do a little short, it's like a three second video, right? So so if you were like waving to someone and say, hey, we, you know, and you could still have a picture of yourself in front of the Eiffel Tower, but you could include it as a little video clip. So when you send it to somebody, they can play it back. Um, but it turns out that when you capture this, you have to A, remember that you got to hold the camera still because it's recording a video for three seconds. But all of a sudden you can do these computational things on the back end. So open that photo open that photo that you used for um, where you set it to live, live photos. So you take this picture and when you take a live photo, the camera's going to have a little highlight word live and yellow pops up and you wait for that to turn off. And then, you know, you're done. You go to your, to that image. And in the upper, at least on the current iOS, the upper left corner, you'll have a little thing next to the, uh, in the top, uh, margin there that says live and with a little arrow that points down if you tap that you get a, a contextual menu pops up it says loop you know the standard is live and then loop bounce and then the last one is long exposure what have you tried that rick of course yeah of course we did and in fact we did this in croatia at those waterfalls so when you're next time you're at a waterfall with your iphone you can do the live photo hold it still and then choose long exposure. And what it does is literally makes a blur, you know, it blurs out things and it works stupid. Well, it's so crazy. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, as long well as you the camera more or less still, cause it's going to do some cropping. Right. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to align and the, things. and the, the more you hold it still, the less cropping it'll do. Right. You'll get a better shot. Yeah. But, oh my goodness, this was crazy. This was actually one of the things that the, 
Apple, the retired VP from Apple, my client told me about, and we were in Scotland. And the next thing I know, I'm like, hey, I'm doing daytime long exposure without a neutral density filter using my phone. How cool is that? <laughs> Very cool, right? Sure. Now we can move forward to this sort of revelation that we both recently. Okay. So both of us like shooting our normal photographs in raw mode, just because of the flexibility it gives you mm -hmm. with color correction and creative techniques, all sorts of stuff. And there have been ways to get raw photos on iPhones for a while, even before Apple really introduced it, you could use the Lightroom app, for example, mobile right, the, app. The Lightroom camera. Mm -hmm. And put it into raw mode and capture shots. And, and there were times that I did that because I just knew that the colors were going to be so far off with a JPEG or something like a JPEG that it, it wasn't going to turn out well. But, you know, the results were just kind of, yeah they weren't typically as good as what you would see with, you know, it shooting in JPEG mode. Right. And it was because of all those computational things yeah. that just kind of disappeared. And, and, and you so, know what, Rick, and the app to use the camera inside Lightroom is far more clunky than just using your camera. Absolutely. So yeah, that was, yeah. So was, I ended up not eventually using it a lot, but with the, um, I think Apple started it with the, 12 pro series and it shows up in the 13 pro series that you and I both have. Um, it's got a thing called Apple, Apple pro res raw or whatever mm -hmm. pro raw and, or something like that. Yeah. But here's the, the really cool thing about it. You know, the, unlike in the past where, you know, I felt like if you, did something in raw, you really had to start from a place that was just plain ugly looking and then do a fair amount of work to get it to look good. Um, you know, in Lightroom. Now with those particular phones, there are matching color profiles in Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw that start you off in a place that looks just like the real quote, <laughs> real, the the JPEG. <laughs> with all the processing. So you don't lose that stuff. You know, what's ironic about that is that, you know, we always say like, Hey, what's the point of a profile? If all you want is to make it look like the camera JPEG. Well, here is a case where we will actually go the completely opposite way because of what you just said, the computational stuff, the highlight and shadow recovery is baked into this profile. It does not require you to use any crazy sliders. In fact, if you take that same image, the DNG, and bring it into Lightroom um, on your phone, or, or, or you know, transfer it to your to your uh, computer somehow, um, I used the Lightroom mobile app, the Lightroom CC app on my phone, and then synchronized it to my mm -hmm. computer. And you can change the profile to Adobe Color, and all of a sudden, it looks really like a bad. crummy, a crummy. <laughs> it looks like what you would have gotten in that backlit. You know, you're in the shade situation mm -hmm. and so the profile um and there's also a monochrome profile in lightroom so you can do a, a right. color and a black and white um works tremendously well and and all of a sudden you've got this way to say i can bring my raw i can capture the photos with my regular camera and then if i want to 
um, I can edit them in Lightroom or ACR um, and and preserve the original um, starting point. And I think that's incredibly good. Yeah. The other nice thing is with these color profiles, um, like some other things recently introduced by Adobe, there's a scale of zero through 200, I think, you yeah. know, with 100 being the norm. And that's where it'll start off. But you can dial down the effect, in which case it'll start looking more like what it would have been with you know, an Adobe color profile. Or you can take it up further and get even a little bit more tonal compression, a little bit more vibrance, those other things. So you, just by playing with that single slider related to the profile, you can get some mm-hmm. very usable, very nice looks only with that. Right. And then you can always go in and use your favorite Lightroom sliders. And right. you can actually fix things like the lousy sharpening. Well, I wanted to hit on uh, that a little bit, Rick, because sure. you get a pretty good set of controls just in your Photos app on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. You get a pretty good set of controls. but um, And, and one, one control that you would definitely want to look at besides the auto adjust is a, is a there's a control slider called Brilliance. And it makes no sense based on what it's describing. It's actually a contrast slider. And that's a good one to play with because you can use it and and get fill lighting and compression kind of looks with that brilliant slider. But Mm -hmm. the sharpening slider only goes up. You can't unsharpen. You can't de-sharpen it. And it's really kind of painful to try to fuss with those things. They tend to interact with each other and things that you don't intend to move will suddenly move and you know some of the the sliders there so from a from a using lightroom perspective the real bonus is that you now can use all the lightroom controls that you would have normally on raw files produced by your phone so you can use the temperature controls or the eyedropper you know things that just aren't in the phone app itself um, the temperature sliders, you've got dehaze, clarity, texture, all these things that are there. And if you bring it over into Lightroom on your desktop computer, you can run your iPhone images through the enhance and do the super resolution thing. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you've got a 48 megapixel image, which you sort can of. control the sharper. Yeah, I mean, it's enhanced, but, but you know, your mileage may vary as we've talked about before, but this is quite cool. Because you're not up-resing a JPEG, you're up-resing a, a, a RAW file. So you're starting from a point of potentially better quality. Yeah, and, and I, you know, like I was hinting at with the sharpening, you can take it from being that over-sharpened, very coarse look that you get out of the box with the, the Apple phones to something that's got a lot more fine detail in it. You know, things that you would do with the you know, image from a regular camera. And what that means, especially if you combine it with the super res thing, is you can end up with something that you could print much larger than you would otherwise, because the default sharpening settings just get too crunchy and ugly looking in a hurry, especially if you're doing any work in Photoshop or things like that on them. So, so this is a tremendous, tremendous workflow thing, because like when I'm traveling, Especially like when you were on your trip. Um, too bad we didn't know about this sooner. No, it was um, a shame. We'd we gotta have to go. We're gonna have to go on another trip. I have an idea for that. But um, the uh, the idea that you're gonna have uh, your 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 SLR camera or your whatever you call it, your your big your big camera, 
and you're going to bring those potentially into Lightroom because you're downloading the pictures, whether, mm -hmm. you know, wherever that might be. But if you utilize a little of that workflow that we talked about where you can bring photos into your mobile Lightroom, the, either on the phone or on the iPad, whatever, mm -hmm. and sync those through the, uh, the Adobe cloud service. Mm -hmm. and, and then you have everything in a collection or folders or whatever on your computer whether they came from your phone or your camera, they're all in the same place and you can edit them all in the same way. You're not stuck with things. Um, that's huge because a lot of times when I go on a trip, I'm going to have a mix of images from my phone and from my, uh, you know, regular camera. And, and here's a nice way to sort of concatenate them and work on them all in the same way. Yeah. If, you know, in retrospect, had I known, how well this would have worked. I would have shot everything in Portugal and in raw mode on my phone. Yeah, I agree. Everything. I, I, no I reason not you. to. Right. Now, the, here's the caveats of this uh, approach. Okay. Um, there are some, you know, so if your camp, first of all, you have to have the camera that supports the raw format, which right now only is the 12 Pro and 13 Pro, if I believe. Has series. to say pro, yeah, yeah. the series, then including the max, the smaller whatever. ones that we have right. and the bigger ones, right? But if it doesn't say pro and you only have the two cameras on there, um, you probably won't get that raw button. You'll be capturing everything in either a JPEG or HEIC, however you pronounce that acronym, um, and that's okay. Um, there are certain things that just do not capture in raw. So portrait mode is going to be a compressed format. It's not going to be raw. Um, the live photos, that's video, so that won't be raw. Uh, right. the, the night thing, you know, those won't be raw captures. But that's okay because you're doing, you know, you're using it for a different, different purpose. But you just have to be aware of that. So we're not telling anybody to, to run out and get that. Um, but, but that's the hardware that you need to, to do this. And then on the flip side, on the computer side, is anybody's raw software running a profile for iPhones other than Adobe right now? Not that I can find. So I, I tried multiple ones. I tried Capture One, On One, Luminar, right. um, and DXO. None of them did this. But they'll read so, the file, correct? Yeah. It's just that you end up with the equivalent of the Adobe Color Profile. Right. It's it's a different one, but it's not. Right, it doesn't right. do all the fancy you, things. You don't get the tonal compression. No, stuff. and that's right. the big deal with this. Right. Okay. So you know. Those are some caveats. So what does this mean for you, our listeners? Are we telling you to go out and buy an iPhone? <laughs> no, um, we're not. Uh, but your phone is on a replacement cycle. Generally, you know, every couple of years, you probably get a new phone. And if you are on the fence and you're looking to upgrade your phone and you're an enthusiast, um, this alone would be reasons to strongly consider your next phone being in the pro line or or one that includes that that option for that format yeah um, however apple does it in the future right i mean you would get the raw benefit you'd also get the benefit of that telephoto lens which is like what a 77 millimeter equivalent mm -hmm. which makes portraits real nice just yeah you're not using digital zoom as much so you're you know it's it's one of those things that i hadn't thought about when i last upgraded my phone but Man, that was a, a, a nice revelation to, to find this. Oh, yeah, this is big. Now, we are not experienced at all 
and Androids and other phones. So it's very possible that there is an equivalent to this. Um, and if there is, you know, do some research on the phone that you have and see if if something like this is available. I don't know. Um, we're, we're not planning a an Android episode in the future. You know, we're going to talk about what we know about. But gosh, this is nice. I am just so pleased. Yeah, it's 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 really quite great actually um i'm so happy with it um because it goes back to that whole idea of like do i what am i giving up by not bringing the big camera sometimes less than you think if if you can and i'll just say if i compare the jpeg or hick or whatever it is um format shots to one that i've tweaked in raw oh my gosh it's like a camera shot in comparison mm-hmm. you know it's not that you know thing where you zoom in a little bit and it just gets all ugly and um stuff um this this is a great little feature so where can we learn more about this well with us actually um good point some some options we've mentioned that, that we still have like i think two seats open to join us in santa fe new mexico in october but we are, we have a new, uh, another, we've added another location, another workshop, weekend workshop. And uh, this one's going to be at the end of September. So the last weekend and well, the end of September, the first weekend of October, technically. So September mm-hmm. um, 29th, which is a Thursday uh, through Sunday, October 2nd. And why don't you share our new secret location or not so secret location? <laughs> not so secret, but it's just up in downtown Denver. And which and is a it's a fun area. I mean, both of us go up there a lot for for other things. And I was like, gosh, I think you did a workshop there years I ago, have. right? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. And it was great. I got some really fun photos. Yeah. Um, Especially with the way that the whole downtown Denver area has been revitalized and a lot of stuff put in it's a nice area and it's one of the reasons that denver you know along with colorado springs gets ranked so high uh, yeah. on livability scales and so stuff. here's a funny it's, thing right people mm-hmm. when, when you think about shooting in urban areas what comes to mind uh well new york chicago san francisco maybe right because you know they're well known denver's actually really good um and the weather in the end of September is wonderful. It's typically. glorious. It's yeah. really the best time of year. We may or may not have some fall colors around, but that's not that's not the point. Our our intention with this trip is to to photograph the architecture, the urban areas, creative approaches to the artwork in the area. You've got the the lower downtown by Coors Field Union Station is all historical buildings that have been renovated. Some of them have been turned into breweries and other things. We're going to do food photography. We're going to we're going to have a, a section on iPhone photography. So we'll work with you um, as well as this workflow that we've talked about, where we were using our iPads and and our phones to to integrate images together and and have a, a portable workflow that doesn't require a big laptop to do. Um, but you know the way I look at well, with our goals, one, it is a nice spot. And so just with the location alone, people can come away with some really nice city photos and things like that that they might not normally take. But the most important reason to do this is the idea of just supercharging your travel photography experience and getting some new ideas that you can apply many places, right? perhaps even including your own town. 
I, I think one of the trickiest things about approaching urban style photography, at least for me, is what's the subject? I mean, you think the skyline, but what about the other stuff? What can you approach? You know, what are you doing? Is it street photography? Is it architectural? Let's look for things to find and photograph and present them in creative ways so that when you come back and you make your picture book, if you will, your slideshow, it's not just all the same shot, not just snapshots. And I think yeah, that's we've, what we're going to do. And we've always tried to talk about those things on our other workshops, but we're going to take it up a level on this one and just do a bit more because it's just such a nice environment to do it in yeah. and piece of cake. And we'll be staying right downtown. So most of this will be either walkable. You don't, you don't need a rental car or anything like that. You'll be able to walk to most places or, or use some of the public transportation, free public transportation options in, in Denver uh, that are there. So anyway, anyway it's fun. Cool. Um, and just but, a reminder, we still have, I think, two remaining spots in our Santa Fe and Taos right. workshop, which is just a couple of weeks after this one. So we we definitely would like to fill up both of them for many reasons, and they're both great places. So if you want to do, we'll post the links on our Facebook page and as well on my website. Um, if you want to join us on these, the um, the deposit period ends the end of this month, July 31st. You can still register after that, but it, but if you want to just reserve a seat with a deposit, you need to do it in the next 30 days. So we'll um, have that out there on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash image doctors. And uh, unless you can think of something else you want to share, Rick. No, I think, I think if someone is wondering, should they only go to one or both of them? I would say both of them. There you go. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. one, that's one louder. Absolutely. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, until next time, happy shooting. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye-bye.